Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an off-forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and with me, I've got Liam. In the words of Detective John Mulcahy, you know, these uh, traditional glazed are uh, like heroin. <laughs> Highly addictive. You ever try heroin, Sue? <laughs> and Mitch. In the words of the nasally high school teacher, butts in the seats. <laughs> <laughs> okay do you got anything Corey? i found there were there were a lot to pick from in this movie uh yeah i do have one let me get the exact wording um oh there's there's two that i like one of them was mm. uh in the words of uh chris Harginson. it's not even in the same area code as over yes i'm glad you did that one because I, I i was sure i wasn't sure if i was i was making the wrong choice and and not doing it Oh, yeah, the Le- other one is my letterbox review, so I'm just gonna go <laughs> find it there. Liam took mine. I was gonna say the the donut crack quote, but no way. Yeah. Oh, then let me the, let me find something else. I hate I when people compare here. baked goods to crack. <laughs> so cringe. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, cop, you posted cringe. And then uh, the other one I liked was uh, in the words of Sue: "Shouldn't religion be more like dogs playing poker?" <laughs> Oh yeah, I also wrote that one down. Which is one of the more unhinged lines of dialogue I think we've ever heard in a movie. <laughs> Another good Sue one here is uh, she's a back to front, I'm a front to back. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, unhinged. Uh, yeah, this movie's on one. So, oh, also they talk about Freddie Prince Jr. at one point. Um, that just feels like worth mentioning. I don't know if it's going to come up later, so I'm going to just mention that now. Um we're really in our bag on this one, huh? This is like really getting into the more obscure angle that we sometimes, I wouldn't say miss out on, but uh, intentionally avoid. Um, because, you know, even if we were to do another Carrie movie, there's like the 2013 one, which seems like maybe the more obvious call. Mm-hmm. But no. We're we're putting in our uh, we're putting ourselves through our paces. We're gonna go more obscure than that, made and we are TV, going baby. to find made for TV baby, and uh, go all the way back to the year of our Lord two thousand two for another Carrie adaptation. Yep, that's the end of that sentence. I don't know what else I thought I was going to say, but it's another <laughs> Carrie adaptation. Mitch was not here the last time we talked about Carrie, so mm-hmm. what I want to start with. Real quick, is Mitch? What's what's your familiarity with Carrie? What's your familiarity, be it with the, like the book, with mm-hmm. um, the Bullying. movie, with a different movie? If you've ever been bullied or bullied somebody to the point of some sort of supernatural psychosis, um, donuts. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm bullied to the point of supernatural psychosis every week on this show. It's <laughs> not every week. <laughs> no, it's I would say just about every week. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm a big fan of the 1976 Carrie film by Brian De Palma. I've not read the book by Stephen King in its entirety, but I love the 70 the 76 film and it's like no secret to anyone who listens to the show that I'm a big fan of Brian De Palma's work. So going into this movie, um there were big shoes to fill. Brian De Palma's shoes. <laughs> but uh, is he a big-footed man? I don't he's know if like, he's, about, he's got size twelves. I'm not sure how big Brian De Palma's shoes are. I should ask him sometime. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much my experience. Fan, 
of the 76. Haven't read the book. I've seen the 2013 version as well. Um, so there's definitely a few comparisons that I'm, I'll be able to draw between uh, the three works that I've seen. Cool. So I've Googled how big are Brian De Palma's shoes, and it doesn't seem like there's a clear answer. Hmm. Yeah, just They're how big, big his dick is. That's all that came up. Well, he's <laughs> he's one of those like big like swinging dick directors from the '70s. It's got to be big. I feel like he's a small dude though. Like overall, like, like I feel like he's a just, tiny man. Yeah, just like a little firecracker, like <laughs> Joe Pesci or something, or like uh, Martin <laughs> Scorsese. Exactly. Yeah, a famously tall. Uh, Small man. That's, Damn it. That's, <laughs> that's the opposite of what I was trying to say. Small in stature, but a giant of the cinema. That's right. Yeah, he had to make up for it because he got probably carried a lot in his childhood for being a small man. That's right. I mean, yeah, in what is this? What is this a easy to pick him up. <laughs> uh, married to friend of the show, Nancy Allen, at one point. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. Doesn't matter how short he is at that point. I mean, he did it. Uh, he's five nine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's uh. That's respectable. We stand an average height, King. If it says five nine online, though, he's like five six. But he's always <laughs> dressed to kill. Oh you yeah. Know, okay. See what, I, see what I did there? Because that's one of his. He's movies. always dressed to the untouchables. Um. So. Yeah. His <laughs> body double like is five body nine. Double, yeah. <laughs> um. And do you have any familiarity, Mitch, with the? Mr. Steve King in any of his uh, oh, literary works. Thank you. Yeah, I know. It was a bit of a shallow response for me. I'm a, I'm a Stephen King stan. Anybody who watches the show knows I love Stephen King. I particularly love his short stories. Um, I've I ripped five through. six to five nine. <laughs> the, the 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 shorter the you know anyway. Um, yeah, I've read I've read a handful of his books or a whole, more than a handful, quite a few. Uh, but I have not finished Carrie in its entirety. I like I like Stephen King's books, but I think he can't write women, and I think that that's definitely reflected in in Carrie to a degree. Um, but uh, we can get into that when we start talking about the characters and and uh, the relationships that they have and the things that they say. You and Liam can have like a Stephen King fight. Uh, because you have actual familiarity with like his work, and I think okay. I can just hang out and eat popcorn. I don't think I don't think we'll fight. I think we're both like fans of his work, but <laughs> yeah. But I think no one has ever written a woman better than <laughs> Steve King. No, no, no that's one. not that's not true. I I agree with you on that point too, Mitch. And uh, I think the Carrie book sort of dances around it. Like it's his it's his first uh, book that got published, and so um, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had oh, written wow. he had written a few novels before that because he's just always he's always at it. But it was his first book, and uh, it does it feels a bit um, shallow in terms of yeah. its characterization. But it's and so it, it gets around that by being um, what are they called called uh, like a a epistolary epistolary where it's like a, a book that's composed of like news articles and like uh, transcripts and stuff. It's not a typical narrative. And I think that sort of thing like uh, covers up a lot of the, the actual characterization. In that that is exactly the word you wanted, by the way. Very nice. Yeah. You got it in S one. Steve King taught that to me. Maybe it's so funny calling him steve king steve king sounds like you're talking about a guy who works at the dmv do you know how steve king likes a salmon microwaved apparently psychotic yeah really yeah did you not see this tweet liam okay no. really quick yeah. i'm gonna derail the podcast to read a tweet to you 
from uh, the master of horror. Absolutely mortifying. That's his greatest work of horror. Michael <laughs> giving a fucking salmon. And I was talking about this. Like, there's there's a great precedent with the horror auteurs for for preparing fish in strange ways. Like Vincent Price went on the Johnny Carson show to cook a trout in a dishwasher once. You can find it on YouTube. <laughs> so, um, Liam, on April nineteenth, ten ten p.m., Stephen King tweeted the following: Dinner. Get a nice salmon fillet at the supermarket. Not too big. Put some olive oil and lemon juice on it. Wrap it in damp paper towels. Sounds good. Nuke so it fun. in the microwave for three minutes or so. What? Eat or it. So. Maybe add a salad. Is that that's safe? Just, just sounds like a divorce. <laughs> I, have, I, honestly, meal. I honestly have no idea if that's safe or not. Like, how would you cook it through in you three can minutes in the microwave? Can yeah, you? you can. Yes. That's what like goes into like sushi and stuff. Like you can eat salmon raw, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Good point. In that case, I guess it's kind of badass. That's all I would be concerned about is if he's just like uh, just eating raw meat and like, like kind of like a Jordan Peterson or something. But I mean, I mean, I've, heard, I've heard he does that. That's he's all. he's from Maine, like known for its fish, not known for its salmon, as far as I know. But um, what like what is he doing? <laughs> somebody help this man it's a cry for help is what that tweet is or it's his greatest scare i'm not sure i think uh it's both <laughs> it you write both. you write that many books for that many years um you pick up some bad habits you know he, mu- he must have known it was pretty off-putting though because there have been a lot of stephen king surrogates in his books where they're like you know very obviously just him and uh to my recollection not one of them has ever microwaved a salmon so he had to know that like, if he gave that to a character it would put people off and they would be like what the fuck um, somebody- but maybe he's saving it for his final hurrah Somebody quote tweeted this by saying, LMAO, this freaking guy in the coke holes in his brain. Oh my gosh. This <laughs> like, poor guy is never going to get a break from all the coke he's done. People just, just keep bringing it just, up. What? A guy can't even casually do cocaine for years anymore? Yeah. The guy does cocaine and now all of a sudden he just gets scrutinized for how he likes his fish? Yeah. Disgusting. There are, there are some Stephen King characters though where I, I feel like they would eat fish that way. So I do oh, hope absolutely. he puts it into his book before before time is up. Absolutely. He's he's like writing like four books at a time, so like one of them's gonna have the microwave fish in there for have sure. You, have you seen like the or have you read Thinner or seen the movie? I have, I like, yeah. I feel like that's like probably out of thinner. That's like what he's like frantically trying to eat microwave <laughs> yeah. salmon or something. Yeah. That's a good point. And uh, Liam, we all already know that you're a big uh, Stephen King head, big big Carrie head. Uh, I am, yeah, yeah. Carrie was the first horror movie I ever remember seeing. Um, so if it wasn't my introduction to the horror genre, because maybe it was like that, Goosebumps that, or stuff like that, that doesn't uh, jive with your testimony of last week's movie, When a Stranger Calls, which was the first movie. <laughs> testimony no, no, no. that was yeah. the first horror movie i ever saw in theaters mm. this is the first horror movie i ever saw period i would have been like five years old damn get a reverse cross i just wouldn't want you to perjure yourself you know yeah, yeah no worries thank you for clearing um, that for the record it's important maybe some listeners were confused too uh yeah but it's between carrie and an american werewolf in london i don't remember exactly which one came first um but right around the same time um i have read the carrie book uh just once um, and 
the Carrie story is just really one of my favorite stories. Like I, I was really excited when the 2013 remake came out, not just because I had a huge crush on Chloe Grace Moretz, but also because I think it's just uh, a timeless tale. PlayStation that, that- P. oh by that point i was past the playstation p baby um (laughs) and i would just i would love to see this story retold with different actors and and different tweaks to the story and um this 2002 carry is one that i have have known about since uh since i can recall but i've just never fired it because the made for tv thing always put me off um the poster kind of put me off um, and so I just never went ahead and watched it, but I'm really excited to to do it now and and talk about really I think one of the one of the best stories of all time. Um, the book, honestly, not so much. Like the original Carrie movie, I think is is better than the book is. It's one of my favorite movies, and I cannot say that the novel Carrie is one of my favorite novels, just in the writing, but. Um, in terms of the the core story itself, if you were to like quickly tell someone the story of Carrie at a bar, I think it's a, a great story. And so I was really excited to dive into this movie. I, I will say too, actually, just like in the process of picking this out, I think the reason I wanted to get to it is because it's easy to be put off at the thought of, oh, they did a made-for-TV one? What? <laughs> and then just sort of you know ignore it because like how could that compare to uh whatever the original movie was able to do but i think that was kind of what the appeal is is just to see like what they were able to come up with um yeah yeah and 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 like carrie too uh was not received as warmly as it should have been um and was by 2002 was probably already like they made another one right like n- no one knew about it uh I can't imagine it was promoted all that much. And so um, I, I really understand why they redid this. I understand why they did it for TV. Um, I know it was supposed to be a pilot, you know. Backdoor pilot, yeah. That's right. We can talk more about that. And, and I really understand that. Like like I said, the Carrie story is timeless. And so I, I really get doing it again for uh, teenagers in the early 2000s. I understand the, the drive to make it a, a TV series. Um, and so it does make sense, but, but I, I was still put off all these years. Um, yeah. So, uh, we can just get right into the cast and crew stuff here. It's a bit of a doozy. So what? I just said, do it. Oh, okay. It sounded like you went, "Ah!" like you sort of (laughs) like, like, like somebody, somebody like assailed you in the comfort of your own home. Wouldn't I live in a bad neighborhood? It's entirely possible. (laughs) Bad to the bone. (laughs) That comes at the end of every podcast. At the end of every podcast, somebody breaks into Mitch's house and beats him up. That's what it sounds like from from this end. It's what's happening. It sounds it's like actually, that's... it's one of you guys comes over and beats me up because you bully me all the time. I figured it was one of your uh, supernatural psychotic breaks after all the bullying. Could be. I mean, you got a lot of you live with a variety of people. I figured it was just one of them. That's right. They're the more likely suspects. Don't ask mm. us questions, cops. I'm deflecting. Who's I've never cross-examining who? Right. I haven't committed a crime in two years. Um, <laughs> nice. So uh, this is directed by um, David Carson, who did a shitload of television over the course of his career, but in particular, a whole lot of Star Trek. Hmm. Uh, episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, one of the uh, 
movies, Star Trek Generations, which I believe is one of the ones where William Shatner and, uh, uh, oh my God, of Patrick Stewart are both there. Uh, I almost forgot his name. That would have been embarrassing. Uh, it's written by Brian Fuller, which is a name that sounded really familiar to me. And then I had no idea why. So I had to look him up and try to get to the bottom of like, why do I know who that is? Um, if that name rings a bell to anybody listening, I would say it's probably because of Hannibal. So oh, he, yeah. Yeah. So he was a writer. Also, actually, he did some Star Trek, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. But mm, then when he, I think of him, I think of Star Trek. Yeah, but then he was also uh, he was a writer and a co-executive producer slash producer to varying degrees on Heroes. Mm, I like and Heroes. He was a developer, writer, and produce an executive producer on Hannibal, and also American Gods and the new Star Trek show that's on right now, Star Trek Discovery. So he's like deeply ingrained in the TV space. Yeah, and wasn't there news recently that he's like doing a version of Christine? Maybe that um, that might be something that they're like work working on, but I don't yeah. I don't know specifically. Um, oh yeah, it says it's it's supposed to be his directorial debut, a new adaptation of Christine. So I love Christine. A shot the, the John later. Carpenter version is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we can probably revisit him soon. Yeah, he seems like he could be a mainstay for a while. Um, the movie is edited by Jeremy Pressner, who uh, edited a movie called Storm Chasers: Revenge of the Twister. Oh, dude, that's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. No. Uh, you got my hopes up. Damn. Yeah. He, I wish. he also edited um, "Don't Eat the Neighbors," "Murder at the Cannes Film Festival," and yeah. something called Amish Mafia. <laughs> Is is Don't Eat the Neighbors Murder at the Cannes Film Festival one movie or is that two movies? <laughs> two movies. Oh, okay. that's a shame. Don't was a Eat the Neighbors one movie, Murder uh, at the Cannes Film Festival second movie. A bit less interesting. Like, what if that was the title of a documentary? Oh my gosh, I would love to hear that. That story. would be pretty sick. Um, the cinematography is by Victor Goss. Uh, he worked on The Wonder Years. Oh, Fred Savage. Fred Savage, the titular Savage. Um, and the music is by Laura Cartman. What? I don't know. Is is that the titular Savage? <laughs> I don't know if that's how that word works. No, I don't know. Yeah. No, he is. Okay. The Fred Savage Wonder Years. Fred Savage's Fred on, Wonder Years. On his birth certificate, that's what it says. <laughs> it says the Fred Years. the Wonder Years Savage. <laughs> um, so uh, Laura Cartman is still working um, on a lot of like prominent tv shows and is also about to have an mcu movie come out so laura cartman's doing great uh she did the music for lovecraft country um marvel's what if which was like a disney plus so uh the marvels she's going to be doing the soundtrack to that also worked on some video games like connect disneyland adventures for the xbox 360 and everquest 2 okay yeah that those last two ones make more sense than those other ones based on the music I heard, but yeah, but no, yeah, so she's like still really going, which is, cool. you know, pretty sick. It's always, I, I don't know why I assume that on a lot of the things that we cover, people might not be working, but I'm always glad when people have had like 
extremely thorough careers every right? time we get to talk especially about after two years on the show like i keep being surprised and then i keep going back to thinking like yeah this movie was made by people who have never made a movie before <laughs> or since yeah but you know meantime people are really getting around here so let's do the cast i've got a really exciting reveal at the end but you know we'll get there um angela bettis plays carrie um she is she was on skins uh and is in girl interrupted mm-hmm. and uh something called 12 hour shift which i wrote down i think just because it sounded interesting yeah uh, that, that that had a good amount of buzz last year i've been wanting to see it david arquette is in it that's probably why i knew that's why the name rug a bell there's no um, way that's not why she was oh, also wait, is that though i think i do know what that mm-hmm. is now you just like you said david arquette's name and it unlocked in my brain what that was yeah i think actually now that I've said David Arquette's name, it's also unlocking that I think we we brought this up to each other and we're like, we should watch this. Together. I think we did. Yeah. Um, she's also in a movie from 2002 that I think if not both of you will really like, then one of you will really like. It's sort of a, a cult Which horror one? movie. It's called May from 2002. Oh, yeah, I was actually that's oh. on my list, too, actually. Yeah, you might recognize the poster. It's, it's I, kinda, I did. Yeah, it, it makes the rounds. She's really great in that movie. On the cast list order that I have, I'm just going to give a quick shout out to the actor that plays uh, when Carrie is a little girl, whose name is Jodell Ferland. Um, then we've got uh, Patricia Clarkson playing Carrie's mom, who uh, was in like Jumanji, like original Jumanji, mm. and also Shutter Island and mm. The Green Mile and like House of Cards. So some pretty heavy hitter stuff. Oh, there you go. Uh Rena Sofer plays Miss Desjardins, who is the uh, the coach. She, this is awesome. So she is right in the uh, soap opera space. The Bold and the Beautiful General Hospital Melrose Place. And just has been doing that forever. Like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Yeah, you know, I was trying to figure out basically the entire... Um movie where i've seen her from i was getting her confused with um one of the characters in halloween kills like uh the 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 adult version of the little girl in in the original halloween now she's in like the real housewives of something or other i was wondering if it was her and brianna told me it wasn't and i I couldn't place her but she's like she's beautiful she's got a real familiar face she it says she was in five episodes of heroes so maybe that's where i saw her or she's in the muffin tops episode of seinfeld so maybe that's it but she is a looker i was trying to find my psp but i I couldn't (laughs) i can't believe we've set up this fucking running joke and that's like not even what happened my porn station portable stop no i was just gonna look at pics of her she's just got a nice face that's all i need (laughs) um Candice McClure plays Sue Snell, who uh, was on uh, Battlestar Galactica, but is also in a movie that I've talked about wanting to do on this show, but then I ended up just watching it on my own time, uh, which is Romeo Must Die, uh, which is the Jet Li movie that's like a Romeo and Juliet style thing mm. uh, that has Aaliyah in it, which is pretty sick. Yeah. Um, she's was in it there. good? Should we still do it on the show? I I liked it. It was a good time uh i think we'd have fun with it it's got one of the guys from agent cody banks 2 in it as well mm, cody banks no the other the the like the adult man anthony anderson yeah cool. <laughs> the diaz 
I love, oh, so wait, cool. is it a riddle? I follow you. Yeah. Um, Chocolate surprise. Yeah. Uh, Emily DeRaven was, uh, she plays Chris. Um, she was like just in a bunch of like peak 2000s things. Oh, dude, Lost. She was on Lost. She was in the Ryan Johnson movie Brick. She was mm-hmm. in Santa's Slay and The Hills yep. Have Eyes. And um, is now on that show Once Upon a Time, which is like all that fairy tale stuff like being mashed together. Uh, yeah, so. it, it looks like she has a short track record, but like a great track record. Oh, it's like all killer, no filler, basically. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Tobias Mailer is playing Tommy, who is in uh, Wishmaster 3, Beyond the Gates of Hell. Oh, dude, I wonder if we'll ever get to that. I think it really says a lot, Corey, that we've never picked up the Wishmaster uh, baton. And I think that's because you and I watched Wishmaster together one time on yeah. Home and we were just like, eh, maybe not anymore. Yeah, that, I, I think we ruined it for ourselves because we were like, if the bar for Wishmaster only <laughs> goes this high to start, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we did not have a reason to believe it was going to improve. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure we've tapped into some franchises where the original isn't good and then a sequel gets us. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Maybe we got to get it a chance, but uh, not in any rush. Yeah, I'm not in a rush either. Uh, speaking of people who weren't in a rush, Jesse Kadot, who plays Billy, don't really have any credits for that guy. Hmm. Is he that why sort- he wasn't in a rush? He's I still guess. just taking his time booking his next role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but we do have Megan Black who plays Norma, who I'm sure we will talk about later, who is an elf, which I didn't realize. Oh. Um, and also X-Men Evolution. Um, it's, this is either Kaylin Simmons or Chaylin Simmons. And I don't, I don't know how to say it and I'm sorry, but she plays Helen. Uh, she was in John Tucker must die and Tucker and Dale versus evil and final destination three. And the It nineteen ninety miniseries and See No Evil two. Dang, that's yeah. Nice. There's I, a lot of like great horror track records in this castlet. Yeah, I'm down to to go into the See No Evil franchise. That's for sure. Uh, another franchise we could get to. Catherine Isabel plays Tina. Oh. She's in Ginger Snaps one and two mm-hmm. and, and three. Is there a third? I only yeah yeah. Maybe I just I just missed that. She's also in See No Evil two. By the way. Yes. Um, and also Freddy versus Jason. Yep. And that animated adaptation of Night of the Living Dead that came out. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, David Keith plays Detective uh, Donut Man, John Mulcahy. He, <laughs> like was, he was in Major League Two, which I didn't know got a <laughs> sequel. Um, and also, as a credit for Mitch, he's in An Officer and a Gentleman. And behind enemy lines. Oh, what do you know? And uh, yeah, and then I got a few actors who didn't have like a ton of credits that I could really pull from: Miles Meadows, Tyler Foley, Lori Murdoch. But then Michael Copsa plays John Harginson, which is Chris's dad. And this is this was the greatest thing I've ever discovered on this show ever. Um. I don't know how I didn't realize it at the time, but I didn't. But you guys know I really like I like me some Gundam. Yeah. Yes. So um 
Michael Kopsa has been the English voice actor for the antagonist of the original Gundam run and like that uh, continuity of the timeline because there's spinoffs. Char Aznable, he's been that voice since 1979. Even nowadays, that's how long it's been going? Whoa. Uh, yeah, like as recently as... Uh, some video game credits that I noticed still doing it. Yeah. Wow. He's got 227 credits. Um, was also in that fantastic four movie, but, um, I lost my shit because so I was, I read the credits like newest to oldest when I'm on IMDb. So I was like, Oh shit. He was the voice for char in dynasty warriors Gundam one, like the video game. And then I was like, Oh my God, there's more video games. Oh my god, the dub of the show. Oh my god, the Char's counterattack movie. What the fuck? Like I was like, he's the guy, and I just didn't notice. Um, so that was very fun for me. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I I would like to I would like to make you guys friends. I will try to figure out a way to make that happen. Yeah, like I've got um Gundam models like on my desk, like right in front of me. Is like, is any of them him? Uh, I don't have any of his models, but I have all of the books over there, and um, he's all over those. So. Oh, nice! You can play. Uh, you can play audio from Carrie two thousand two, and like kind of like dance your book around and pretend. Yeah, saying it. Also, Liam, I regret to inform you uh, about the next credit that I'm going to read because I didn't realize this existed. I don't think. Um, Michaela Mann plays Estelle. She's in Poison Ivy: The Secret Society. Mm, is which that i don't think movie? we i don't think we talk i think it's a fourth wow yeah um we'll be seeing you soon michaela yeah so i was kind of in awe this is from 2008 wow it's a tv movie from 2008 so there's like poison ivy and then poison ivy 2 which we did and then there's yeah. Poison Ivy 3, The New Seduction, which has Jamie Presley in it. And then fast forward a whole fucking bunch of years, and there's Poison Ivy, The Secret Society. Oh my gosh. So they made a uh, Poison <laughs> Ivy movie well after Camilla Bell, who was in Poison Ivy 2 as a child, was an adult woman. Yeah, they did. They made that. it like the same year as like 10,000 BC or something. They did. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, which just feels insane to me. And, I'm down. Uh, I'm down to but, check that out. But that's out. about everybody in terms of uh, cast and crew. And the plot is uh, Carrie. If you've heard of Carrie, that's what, that's what it is. Uh, <laughs> they don't really break the formula too much um, in terms of the overall plot. So I say let's just get into it. Um, uh, I'd say they break it a little bit. Go on. Well, I think it has to do with the plot um, and the frame narrative. <laughs> okay. The interrogation. Where were you when Carrie White... I mean, I was going to get to that. Yeah, but right, like, this, I'm just to. saying like the story is the same. It's the, broadly, the gist. Broadly, I agree. That's what I'm saying. Broadly. Like, the we're going to get into it. Is in the but detail. What I'm trying to say, Mitch, now we're spending all this time on it, is I wasn't going to sit here and explain the whole arc of Carrie because people kind of know what it is, the gist of what it is. All right. Well, keep going. 
I just was gonna say I was gonna go to Liam first because he's the he's the guy on Stephen King stuff from uh, the uh, lore of the podcast. So I was gonna start there with just like what he thought of the. What did you think of the movie? I thought that um, this movie was very corny, very um, had a lot of tropes of early 2000s TV, um, which I did not like. Um, I thought that it ran through the motions of this Carrie story that that everyone knows so well whether or not they've seen the original movie you know it's the carry thing is kind of shorthand for like bullying and then people get their comeuppance in a in a wild way like even people who haven't don't know anything about the story have, have likely heard about that so i thought that this rushed through that carry story despite being over two hours long it feels like it, <laughs> it just went through the motions of that carry story in order to get to the end and set up this TV series that that never really happened. Um, in fact, not never really happened. It never fucking happened. Um, and, <laughs> it never uh, really happened or happened at all. Yes. And there, there are a, a few moments in this uh, over two hour film. If you want to call it a film, I don't even know if you should because there are like very clear commercial breaks in this it's edited together to be a film i mean i guess that's what a made for tv movie is right but um it, it feels more like a like three episodes of a tv show um all strung together um and i think there are a few moments where they i thought they nailed a scene from from the book and i thought oh that that was really cool I, I think that was a great representation of how how that moment can be depicted but, you know, in with over two hours, I would hope that at, at least some points they get right. And they do. But it's I thought it was very few moments. I think overall, this is uh, far too, far too um, confident in its CGI. I think it is uh, far too confident in its um writing and its acting abilities i don't think either of those are really up to snuff i think the editing is obnoxious mm-hmm. um i i just i think it's the poorest version of carrie that i've seen and i've now seen all four of them i haven't seen the stage play but uh i've <laughs> seen i've seen all the other ones and i think it is pretty darn poor I am happy I saw it because, like I said, I do love this tale and I am down for any version of it. I'm, I'm glad I checked it off. I have the Blu-ray and I want to rewatch it again with the commentary. So this isn't like uh, um, throw it in the bin, never watch it again. Um, I, I'm, I'm down to study it and I'm excited to talk about it and think about it more. But I think that... Um, just in terms of like quality and digging into the heart of of this story this movie doesn't do it and i also think probably because it's early early 2000s tv i don't think that it has a whole lot of the charm that i get out of um low budget poorly made movies you know i love a whole lot of those types of movies and this just didn't have it because i think um 
of a lot of its preoccupations of of rushing through this story i think just a lot of it feels hollow um and altogether i was uh i won't say disappointed because it is unfortunately sort of what i pictured in my head when i hear made for tv carry that was supposed to be a pilot for a tv series but i um I, I, I would have liked to be a bit more impressed. You know, I, I was blown away by Carrie too, and I wasn't expecting anything out of that. In fact, I think it, that even has a uh, uh, an inferior reputation to Carrie 2002. Um, and I loved it. And I also really like a lot of the actors here in other roles. I, I really like Angela Bettis and other stuff I've seen her in. Catherine Isabel, same thing. But I, I, I really think neither of them even even pulled it off i can't even say that i liked this this uh carry performance um so there's just really not Mm -hmm. a whole lot for me to like i'll I'll bring up what i liked as we go on but overall it is a thumbs down for me um and i want to hear where your guys thumbs are mitch tell me about your thumbs well they're opposable, so I'm, we can be grateful for that. <laughs> Thank Oof, God. That was what bad. a gift. Yeah, Getting worried about you. A gift. Um, I draw a lot of the same con- conclusions that Liam does. I think that there is something about this movie which is just completely uncinematic in a lot of ways. Um, and sometimes I can kind of get behind that kitchen sink realism aesthetic where it's like, oh yeah, it's like the made-for-TV, a little rough around the edges. Um lack of polish that can bring uh, narrative weight to it right but in this case i think it's just a lack of polish and the movie feels really long i think liam and i's conclusions may differ when it comes to the acting because you say the movie has a great sort of sense of confidence in its actors and i think that's true that it's misplaced with a lot of the supporting performances but i think the central performance by angela bettis as Carrie is uh, quite strong. I think she does a really good job. And, 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 and I mean, she's, I don't think it's as good as like, you know, the, the De Palma um, film, but also the woman who plays Carrie's mother, uh, I think Patricia Clarkson, uh, who I'm a fan of does a really good job as well. And those are the kind of the two, I would say heaviest performances in the movie. Um, are two of the most interesting in, in, in the in the story. Uh, but one of the things that the De Palma film does is that you have this wonderful uh, supporting cast. You have uh, John Travolta and, and so many others. And, and it has like this great sort of charisma and, and the budget's there too. And I think De Palma has a sort of like uh, a refined Baroque, in some cases like almost um, like feminine sort of... Uh, a style like style in a way or a, or a way that that isn't um like overtly like it doesn't have like a masculine aggressiveness uh, that you, that you see in a lot of his in his movies he has a more like refined and subtle approach and i i think that that that's really missing here um i don't think that like de palma does a really good job with female characters but i think um his his eye in that movie Although, like, there's definitely like a lot of male gaze stuff at work. I think that there is um, a, a style that that isn't like r- 
very masculine. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of things I, I don't like about this movie. It's too long. It's corny in places. I think the music in some places is just laughable, especially like the soft rock playing on the ending that happens in literally every 2000s episode of TV, you know, with the soft guitar, like, and they're driving off. I, I, it's just, I can't stand that way with, with every, it seems like every TV show ended that way in the 2000s. Um, yeah, it's, and I think the CGI is, is, is weak in places too much. Like Liam said, I think weak in places is a very charitable word. Choice. Yeah. I'd say it's pretty, yeah, it's charitable. All right. Um, there's really nothing in this movie that isn't done better in another version, but that's not to say that there's not things that I liked about this movie, but by and large, I'm going to have to agree with Liam and say that it is a thumbs down from me as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're, we're all pretty much on the same page. Um, there's flashes of stuff that I like almost gasps like (gasps) (laughs) that was a pretty good gasp. Um, but overall, uh, I feel like the 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 things it does to update the story feel kind of silly. Like when when they have that sequence that's intercut with Gary like googling stuff on the computer. That was just, pretty sick. I'm down yeah, with that. I thought that like, was so stupid. But like it made me laugh, but I was just like, man, what are we doing? But um Yeah, that's that's like corny stuff that, it, that makes me laugh. It made but me yeah, laugh, there wasn't enough. But it also made me realize like how on earth like are you Googling like these things which you all and you have like access to a computer, but uh, there's like a there's a level of disconnect from like the story which was written in the seventies and the time in which it is set, I think, to a degree, like in the information age or the dawn of it. Anyway, I, um, I just I cut you off, keep going. Yeah, well, and what I was going to say, something that Mitch was alluding to earlier is that like the frame narrative is different. Um, mm. And it's, it's like, so the story is being told intercut with a police investigation into what happened. So they're like interrogating some of the girls at the high school after the fact of everything that has happened and like part of the town exploded and a bunch of people died because of, you know, the whole Carrie incident. Which is, is ludicrous. <laughs> and... um. I I just want to know why they thought they needed to do that because I don't th- I don't think it brings anything at all. It feels like a TV setup. It, it does. I I think that this is pulled from the book. Um, like I said, it's a. I mean, I, I almost said it once correctly. I'm gonna mess it up again. It, a epistolary. Um, it's an epistolary book that jumps around with different like mediums and 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 uh, places of time and stuff and so um i'm fairly certain that there are police interviews in that book and so um i think that's what the the tv version was doing here and when it opened with that i thought i was down i thought um this is a different um framing device than any of the other movies have done and and it made me think of the book it made me think oh okay that is a good reason for this to be made they're taking a different approach they're going to be able to jump back and forth in time and to different places it's not just going to stick with carrie the entire time and be a linear tale it's uh it's gonna go to some more um 
some different places that that could allow for uh, a type of story that has not yet been told on film. And then very quickly, I ended up at the same place as you guys where I just thought it was totally pointless, yeah. unnecessary. It, lame, it, it does use it to go places like a, it, it, to some degree, like it, to break up that linearity, like to show like a, a bit of like hi- history and also to, to like the way that like the slaughterhouse sequence and like is like depicted, they, they use it, but by and large, it's, it's a pretty on the rails movie when where a frame narrative doesn't really make sense. Yeah. yeah, like it's it's conceptually interesting, but then like I don't feel like I'm getting to know any of the characters better via the interactions they're having with that detective. So yes. like it makes you wonder like what the point is, like because like it's a fun thought, but like I don't feel like I know Sue any better having the context of those conversations and then seeing her actions. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's actually to the movie's detriment, uh, despite me being excited by it um, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think that um, a, a huge strength of the original movie is uh, the way it sticks you with Carrie and and your basic. It's kind of very slice of lifey. Uh, you know, it's not an average life that you're watching, but uh, it, it stays by Carrie's side for so long. And, and that movie also feels long in a way where you're just with her for an hour and you get these little flashes of, you know, she uh, makes the boy tip over on his bike. And so there's obviously something going on here. But then when you get uh, to the prom near the end and stuff really goes off the rails, it's such a stark contrast. But I think this um, sort of uh, cuts itself at the knees really quickly in um, showing its hand early. And I know that likely people watching it know where it's going to go, but I still think there's something to be said for dramatic tension. And I don't think this movie has it. And then I also think that it it ends up just being confusing and and makes me less connected to the new versions of these characters because even though i know where these characters are going to go i I do need to feel close to the actors and um, feel like i'm in this world and continuously cutting back to these interviews with people who um end up feeling very secondary to the main story like it starts with Sue being interviewed. And so I think this is going to kind of be Sue's story this time. And I'm, I, I think that would be cool. And by the end of it, I think Sue feels very um, much like Hollow. a throwaway character. Like mm-hmm. I don't think she has much to do in this movie besides those interviews. And then at the very end, it's when she runs off with Carrie, um, you get the idea that, okay, they're going to, they're going to be main characters in whatever's to come. But I think the actual movie doesn't do much with her. And, um, and then when we're talking to these, you know, really throwaway characters, like uh, the student body president, you know, I know you want to talk about her, Corey. I'm sorry, but um, I'll I'll bring it to the table first. I like that she really likes the donuts, but I thought her scene talking to the detective was terrible. Especially most mostly in the writing. I I didn't like the the woman's performance, but I think that the writing and the directing had to had to do her in. You know, um, yeah. All I'll say is just because Liam and I had like a full on debate about this a couple days ago. Um. I just think I think she's having fun and I'm having fun because of that. I like anytime she showed up, she was just like 
excited to a fault about anything that could possibly happen and i'm like this is great sure yeah i guess i was at the point where like that deep into the movie because she shows up pretty late um yeah as they're getting closer to the prom i didn't want people to be having fun like i felt like these they weren't taking this story seriously at all i i felt like it didn't have the weight that the story should have and anytime it tried to have the weight um, it wasn't there long enough for me to feel connected to it, like the stuff with Carrie's mom. And and so this, this student body president scene, like the writing is just so um, confusing and and weird. Like the student, the that interview scene concludes with um, the detective like posing some uh, sort of... Uh, um, confrontational question to her and her mouth is like full of traditional glazed donut or whatever might as well be heroin (laughs) and and the student body president is like wait you think this is all because someone wanted to hurt Carrie? And then, yeah, and then, and then it the cuts idea that she like couldn't realize that and it's is like, hilarious. What do, like, mean? what do you mean? You watch the bucket of blood <laughs> drop onto her head? Are you kidding me? It just it. it yeah, the it, idea that that interview is happening after the events of the prom is right. ludicrous. And like, so I just think that's indicative of even though the framing narrative is an interesting conceit, they just didn't think it through at all. I had to keep reminding myself, wait, all these people are giving interviews after like basically their entire uh graduating class died (laughs) none of them feel that way at all and so for her to be saying this deep into the movie wait you think this is all because someone wanted to hurt carrie and even though we haven't seen the blood drop on her at that point we all know it's going to and even if you don't know it's going to her once the blood does drop you're gonna think back to that scene and you're gonna think about how this the president watched the blood drop onto her head and you're gonna be like what was she talking about so it's just it's just sort of baffling mitch do you got any thoughts on wait that? really but mitch before you get in i just there's one thing i wanted to mention that i feel like follows with um something liam mentioned about like the focus seeming weird mm. and um but like so this is from brian fuller he said he aimed to quote give it a little more of an epic feel rather than the fairy tale feeling fuller ascribed to the original this is from the wikipedia page he also thought his version could add quote a little more depth with quote some scope to the characters in the situation that you didn't have in the original the writer said bettis's portrayal of the role was supposed was meant to give carrie a more edgy characterization instead of the victim feeling he believed Sissy Spacek gave to her in De Palma's film. So the idea that we're here saying it actively made the character seem shallower and the intent was to actively give the characters more depth. It's like, how do you whiff that hard? And then I I was actually also going to pull from Wikipedia just just from a few lines beneath where you did, where... It says Fuller sought to update the 1970s film to its setting to a contemporary one, aware of high school violence, in particular how it's changed since then. Because Fuller felt Columbine High School Massacre was still on people's mind, he was careful in addressing the film's teenage vigilante theme. Um, like I don't even know what to to make of that. Like I wasn't even really thinking about it in that context, but. Like when you, I, I, when you see, I don't, I, I know I wasn't there, right? but I, I don't see how you could possibly see this as a parallel to something like that. 
Yeah. Like it feels like such a weird consideration to make. I mean, it was 2002, so that was still pretty fresh. But yeah, I just, I don't know how that like fits into everything else that we just said or, um, like how with with how like the the characters like don't have like any <laughs> depth really yeah, well, or like, yeah the police procedural will, element like how the hell does it I don't know it doesn't fit together. Well, and also that she talks about not wanting Carrie as a character to be like just portrayed as a victim. Like he says that Angela Bettis's portrayal is like very sympathetic and sweet, but has a bit more edge, and like is a character with a strong core. Um we felt that we couldn't turn this character who was so sweet into a murderer and then kill her. We wanted to give her another chance. We wanted to see her blossom and triumph over this instead of losing again. Is that what Carrie is supposed to be about? No. <laughs> like, I guess supposed to be isn't the term I should use because like if you're going to remake something, I guess at least it shouldn't be the same as what came before. But it's like that just doesn't seem like the intent of the story as written. So at that point, like, why are you making it a carry thing? Mm-hmm. Just make something else. Yeah, I, I agree. I think all those comments you read of his, I just think um, he and I f- fundamentally disagree about like what is important and and beautiful about the this story i think the the tragic elements the fact that this story is a tragedy is is far more interesting um which is which is why i love the the original movie i mean i can understand after reading the book you think oh this could this could be a bit more epic because the book really sort of reads like that like it it has um it has a lot more drama to it, like a lot of a lot of interior dialogue where like uh, Carrie is is reading people's minds and um, and it, it, it goes to all these. It goes to like court proceedings and stuff. And so um, I understand that. But I think at the at the at the the core of it, this tale of this girl who was bullied until she broke and um and then possibly she broke too much and she didn't even have a mother who could save her, I think um, is, is just a much more interesting story. And so I think that I am just not on board with the, the writing and directing goals of this movie. And then on top of that, I think that the filmmaking just doesn't convey what they wanted to convey because if if this was uh an epic that i felt fleshed out these characters much more than it does and um and i could pick up that intent then you know i could say that hey that this this style of the story um isn't isn't my favorite style i would imagine i'd still prefer prefer the original but i would I would understand and, re- and respect this movie a lot more, but the fact that it has its goals and then uh, I think comes nowhere close to achieving and communicating those goals is is also a shame. It, it does just feel really like misguided, and then like you look at sort of like more specific examples, and it it does like just in terms of like how it approaches. Um, the the even just how like the bullying is shown like on screen it it feels 
I don't know why. I, I feel like there's something to the 1976 movie that feels like a more tangible and like expected sort of illustration of what just bullying is like in a high school. I agree. But even just like when, so when Carrie gets her period and has no idea what's happening and is just like absolutely traumatized, the idea that everybody in the locker room pulls themselves up over the wall and just chants the word period. Like, and I mean, this is what bullying is. The, and then they're like, here's a funny bit. Let's go find all of the tampons we can find and get into her locker somehow and fill it with those. The, the 70s film does have like that locker room scene. I don't remember if they shout period over and over again, but... I, mean, I know it, it has this scene, no, they, they, but they, they chant plug it up, which is uh, yeah. much more effective, I think. Yeah, yeah, but like the idea, like, and I know like I'm making a really stupid distinction here, but like even just word choice matters. And yeah. I just don't see a group of 17, 18 year old girls <laughs> chanting at just the word period. Like, I, don't, I don't really, see, I mean, I, I'm not a, I didn't go to, I, I'm not a woman who went through high school, right? But I, I can't really imagine that happening. I mean, maybe it might, but... But, like, isn't part of the point of Carrie, again, like, there's supposed to be a level of relatability to the bullying, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, this just doesn't seem like that. No, I, I mean, I think a lot of the, a lot of the bullying in the, in the De Palma version is... I don't want to say it's, like, beat for beat, but it, it's not as... Um, like, overwrought and kind of contrived as this. This, this one... Uh, feels a bit sort of like pantomime uh, bully or a bit like a bit overdone like kind of like stereotypical schoolyard bully shit uh, whereas the whereas the 76 version feels much more grounded and uh, like there's a bigger sense of kind of like the the social order uh, as well yeah I don't know just something like something about it just doesn't feel um like it just doesn't connect like it these these disparate pieces don't come together and then you have chunks of it yeah where it's like there's goofy music playing and it's intercut with like using proto google and it's just like what do we what are or we another example of the goofy music is in the is in like the the prom sequence when they they bust out uh, a waltz by strauss by i think by strauss and uh some old Viennese waltz and they just do this ridiculous dance sequence and it's like why the fuck is this here I don't know the De Palma prom sequence shreds this one's kind of made for TV <laughs> uh, yeah the, the all around the music totally uh, took me out of the film and, and I've said before that a lot of times I don't notice music in movies um, I tend to only notice it when it's uh amazingly amazing and i don't even need that in a movie you know um music can be amazing and i won't notice it but if it's amazingly amazing maybe i'll say oh that that music is sick but uh the only other time i tend to notice it is when i am really not digging it and this is the latter um there's like this common uh type of music that's used that feels very like early 2000s trying to be edgy and um the rage carry 2 also sort of has like a, a rock edgy soundtrack but i feel like that matches the 
the style and the, the it feels true to itself there mm-hmm. it doesn't feel that way here it does and this one um yeah the the fi- the filmmaking like the visuals does not have that visual style to it and then the music isn't necessarily like in your face rock music which which uh to my recollection the rage carry 2 is this is like more subtle but in being subtle it's totally egregious like the first time we see carrie is when the camera pans through her classroom and it's like showing all the cool kids and then it lands on her and she's hunched over and with scraggly hair and she's uh, i think she's writing or reading something um in the classroom she might be drawing the picture of tommy and the the music i don't even know how to describe it but like it's it's sort of like the kind of music that you would hear in like an early 2000s action movie trailer where like text is appearing on the screen and it's like uh uh you've never met a man like this until you met (laughs) the invisible man um and it's just and like hijinks ensue yeah and then there's just a bunch more of that sort of bad music in it to me yeah. By contrast, I think like the the subtlety of the music choice in the in the De Palma version is 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 like a great strength because it's not in your face. It's it's mostly there's a lot of like piano, obviously, um, and of course, uh, De Palma when he did suspense loved strings because he was a student of Hitchcock and sort of by extension Bernard Herrmann. So you have this sort of like very uh, subtle but. Uh, suspenseful and effective sound design that is not um, that I think in a way is is timeless or has aged much better than this movie which kind of uh, jumped to what was conventional on TV at the time and now seems more dated as a consequence that's a damn good point um the 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 music in the shower sequence i felt was basically doing the exact same thing the the music in the original did mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it was the same piece but it was the same sort of idea of it's like sort of this melody. F- flowery yeah. gentle music um and I thought that that was, unfortunately, really out of place because by that point, the movie had already established its its uh, musical style as being different than that. But it, it worked the other it worked in the 70s movie. So I thought, OK, we're going to at least maybe they're going to do the shower scene uh, in a in a in a cool way. And then, like Corey said, with the chanting period. And I just think the whole the whole uh way that scene unfolds does Mm -hmm. not in any way live up to the music that is being used in that scene i i can't recall a single moment in this in this movie where i thought the music worked yeah and another thing too is like when you you compare like the shower scenes and were they both well the music but also i think where they occur in the narratives if my memory serves me correctly the shower scene is pretty much at like the start of the 70s one Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you're right. And this one, this movie drags its feet for a really long time before you get there. And there's all this setup and exposition that doesn't need to be there, like frame narratives. And and uh, I, I think it it uh, it it detracts from the focus just to like to I think tell the the narrative uh, in such like a long winded way. Uh, I think 
just starting it in that in that sequence with De Palma, the girls get off the tennis court, and then it's just right to that. I think is is much more uh, dramatically effective and sort of shocking, even though that's like a really uh, kind of bizarre. Uh, uncomfortable scene it's 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 more effective to kind of lead with that rather than to just have these sort of run-of-the-mill like 2000s tv classroom shots of of like the i don't know the girl who doesn't fit in and like all these people and you know the factions and uh who likes her and who doesn't like her and who feels bad for her Uh, setting up all that is kind of pointless because in that one moment of drama you kind of you kind of get that sense and it's much more compelling to, to lead with that rather than, I don't know, to, to put it like halfway through your movie. I totally agree with you, Mitch. I, I caught on to the same thing. I think um, that shower scene tells so much. It, it tells you everything you need to know in, mm-hmm. in the, and I don't even mean just in the um, original movie um, though I think that's the right decision to lead off of it I mean just like in the in in the idea of that scene you should be able to pick up on uh, that Carrie is isolated from these other girls she's not confident in herself um, the other girls uh, are close to each other they're they're a group that Carrie isn't in um, you understand the trauma of the moment you you mm. understand all these different dynamics and it is is just such a, a powerful and evocative way to communicate that yeah. and so this movie going through all this like these really trite scenes of 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 high well i think tv high school bullying i don't think this bullying um that with that we see feels very realistic at all like do do kids say stuff like this and like and make dumb jokes yeah but i think the the performances and just like the way the way it's shown just absolutely feels like it's for the camera and so i think the the movie is again like way too confident in itself that it's like oh we're not going to do the shower right away we're going to get you invested in these characters and we're going to show that carrie has a crush on tommy and we're going to show that uh she's the outcast and stuff and i just think all of it feels really pointless it feels like a a student trying to hit a word count when you could have just instead of prefacing like the thesis of your essay with all this babble like kind of like when you read a um a uh, recipe online and before you get to the actual (laughs) recipe they're like talking about like uh, (laughs) before i tell you this recipe i've got to tell you about how my grandma came to this conclusion in the 1930s and it's just like no start off with the with the most powerful important thing and yeah. get people hooked to say your thesis right off the bat and then we're in and you can take your time showing us all these other things and in another way too when you when you lead with all that sort of uh, trite exposition uh, and you instead of just going in hot with that one dramatic scene you kind of destroyed the film's uh, mysteries and what keeps it compelling or like the the questions that the audience are going to get like how is it that that this young girl carrie doesn't know about the that doesn't know about these things like and so you start you start questioning like oh is it her parents and then you you find out that it's because she's sort of raised with this ultra uh conservative religious sort of regressive uh views that are from her domineering mother right like it's that aspect of Carrie is something that I've always found really I- intriguing and 
instead you put all this sort of like exposition and in a way you kill your darlings because uh if you set up the movie like that because you you already answer the the questions that the audience would have if you started it with more dramatically interesting right like it I, I think it's I think it's more interesting to start with like a really shocking scene and then answer those questions rather than just I don't know mill around school and at home and blah blah blah. Also, like we haven't addressed the the at home stuff much, but mm-hmm. um, I I think it's important to remember on the one hand that this is a horror movie ostensibly, mm-hmm. and um there's no atmosphere to any of it at all it's very bland all the lighting is very even and there's no real attempt to build like a meaningful horror atmosphere and i feel like that undercuts whatever you would be trying to do at the home side where like you're realizing that on both sides of this coin carrie kind of can't get around um what she's dealing with whether from like her peers or from her mother but you don't get to really um grapple with the the domineering nature of her mother because it it just feels like kind of flimsy yeah and on this backdrop that feels very like kind of blase about the whole thing so it never really coalesces into like like i feel like there's so much um heavy lifting that is done by creating an atmosphere that makes the viewer relate to Carrie not just by virtue of what's happening but how they feel and I feel like creating like a horror environment in your movie communicates that to the viewer better and they just don't like it's very flat and one note like visually and then it's undercutting whatever you would even be attempting to do with the mom that I don't think works anyway because yeah i don't know i think i think the mom gives a really good performance and that makes all of that like even more unfortunate that that they don't deliver on that front and i could imagine a film in which the ordinary is made scary i mean so many films do that um where they kind of they make you uh just dread like the the banal or the, the everyday uh, i think david lynch is really good at doing that but he's a big atmosphere guy but but uh like i could imagine um a horror film that that uh like has sort of like a, a flat am- atmosphere or at least an ordinary atmosphere that sort of introduces menacing things or makes you dread um, the ordinary I could see that being effective but I, it just it doesn't work here yeah, well like you know I think part of making that work is that you don't present it as ordinary entirely right no of co- yeah I mean like and they don't do that here uh, to a degree I with, mean but I mean I don't think they're trying to do that yeah. but it feels very eh. because there's just so much of it I, I think there's there's so much just eh. and like the and even the even like the sort of the fantastical sort of elements like Carrie moving shit with her mind or bending an eraser, it, it all feels really, um, really uh, bland. Like, uh, not- can we talk about the uh, the CG when Carrie like moves furniture around? 
and or, or also, the meteor, or the uh, asteroid strike for, or hellfire or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So okay. How do the, how do the so, um, I my first note on my note thing is um, it goes like this: How's that for an opening shot? Is this dot 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 Lord of the Rings? I need to find <laughs> out what this means. Um, and it's just like, what the fuck are like this movie's supernatural elements have such a reliance on CG that frankly looks really, really bad and would have looked bad at the time and yeah. looks bad now. And it's so fucking distracting. Like even in the prom or when all like uh like when asteroids show up or like she picks up a couch and i'm just like it's like and even very simple shots are being used with weird compositing like when carrie leaves the prom and the door opens it's a green screen shot yeah and like the background has been animated in and it's like just decorate a gym like what are you fucking talking about like what are you doing like put up some fucking streamers and make it look like like a high school dance just just chuck some stuff around and call it a day <laughs> like there's there's nothing expensive about a high school dance there's no need i don't know like you it's, don't it's, actively need four chairs spinning around in midair as she leaves for your one shot where the doors open yeah 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 yeah, yeah. There, there's a, there's a whole lot of that it's like um maybe they thought that by making the main sets um <laughs> like uh drab and they they feel like a rehearsal space to me like it feels like they didn't finish um and i also feel like that with the performances like it it sort of feels like uh the actors are just rehearsing because the 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 movie actually isn't ready to go yet but then that's it and so um maybe they thought that like by making the the settings look like that like carrie's house just looks really boring and and vacant but not in a creepy way vacant and so perhaps like how in slc punk 2 they just didn't want to decorate the store (laughs) exactly yes and so maybe they were like okay then the cg will really pop and it'll be like it'll be the equivalent of how in the original movie people are just bopping around for an hour and then shit hits the shit hits the fan at the prom and you're like oh this is amazing um but the cg just looks really really bad Mm. and uh um they not only use it for these big moments of these deaths where again they're like too confident in how it looks it does not look good but they also use it for small moments like carrie leaving the prom i absolutely i rolled my eyes at that it did not need to be there there's a shot of the bucket falling down with blood um like falling straight to the camera that was cg yeah. and it's it's just a shame it is is really a shame they they uh it it feels like they were cutting corners um even though uh you know i'm sure it like it, it costs the money and work and still but once you're all done it it feels very it feels very yeah. um lazy on top of that i think like there's something to be said about the cg that i find extremely disagreeable but also um just like the slight edits or or uh like i guess like filters oh, put on the oh, on the yeah. film like how during 
during the dance sequence how like it just goes like blue vision all of a sudden it's just like what the oh fuck yeah the color you- negative shit yeah. is so funny the color yeah, yeah negative thank you um like what the fuck are you doing like in the in the de- i keep going back to the de palma because it's my favorite but um like in that movie you have some really incredible and innovative camera work i mean de palma was a formal master uh so and it's all done um of course without cg because it's in the 70s but uh, there's that like they're all going to laugh at you in the original one from the 70s and there's a sort of kaleidoscopic lens effect you have some really innovative and sort of interesting um ways of showing this this disorder that is unconventional and uh just very effective but in this it's just like ah just put a fucking blue filter on it and we'll we'll call it one i got it's a made for tv solution i suppose and there's an all there's a editing trend in this movie that i i just started referring to as the carry edit i got to think of something <laughs> a bit a bit that makes a bit more sense because i'll say that in other episodes if it ever comes up and people carry think cut? i'm talking about but people will think i'm talking about the 76 version so maybe it's got to be like the fuller cut or something or what was the editor's name Corey? maybe i have to blame that dude oh, or maybe th- maybe that would be mean i don't know who made the decision the to do this editing cut. But it has to be a decision because it happens. I, I noticed it and then I noticed it again and I was like, okay, uh, it's happened twice. And then it happens maybe 10 times. And what it is, it's when like an impactful uh, moment of action happens, um, like someone getting punched. The first time I noticed it was when like Tommy throws something at the bully who's who's saying shit about Carrie. He throws like a, a book at him or something. Um and Throw the book at him. And you see the book hit him and then it cuts to a different camera angle and the book hits him again and then it cuts to a different camera angle the <laughs> yeah. book hits him again yeah. and that happens like 10 times in this movie when the kid falls off the bike. It happens when um uh, I think it happens when the blood falls. It, I, I, I'll, I'll pick through my notes here and find other times. But like, it is, ju- it is egregious how much this happens, and it. I don't know if it's just like a an editing trend of of that time because it's certainly something I've seen before, but it's never I, caught I bet my it was attention big like on this. Amish mafia. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it is it is terrible. And then there's all, another editing thing um, that feels like a uh, like a YouTube um, <laughs> like a 2010s YouTube video where the mom is saying that Carrie can't go to the prom. She says no, no, no. And every time she says it, the camera <laughs> and it might have even been a Dutch angle like zooms in. It does like a a, a cut to zoom every time to get closer to her face. And I just. If these performances are good, Mitch, and I absolutely, uh, um, I think it's awesome that you were able to to get joy out of Angela Bettis and um, and Patricia uh, Clarkson. Re- yeah, yeah, um, and Patricia Clarkson. Um, but I wasn't, and I think a good chunk of that just has to be like the writing and the editing mm-hmm. and and the way that we the scenes jump around, and so. Like yeah. I feel like we barely spent any time with Carrie's mom in this movie. Um, that's, that's totally fair because it is yeah. all very stilted, but there's a good performance under there. It's just that it's bogged down with everything else that's working against it. Yeah. Um, do you have any like, thoughts about the editing, Corey? Um, not that you haven't mentioned. I think it's okay. just some of it's really fucking weird. 
but and again not in a way that feels like it's serving anything or communicating mm-hmm. something to me it just feels kind of silly um the one thing i wanted to because we haven't talked about like the extended group a lot mostly because the characters are very bland but the one thing i wanted to say that i do like um is billy the way that they're just like what if this character was a complete fucking psychopath like that i like i like that this dude seems completely fucking unhinged and is really attached to making something terrible happen to somebody for essentially no reason like i feel like that is in the most interesting level to the um process of what happens to carry at the prom is that it's being driven by one guy seemingly Mm. who mostly just seems like a fucking nightmare and is like dead-eyed go ahead yeah no like and i know but like this feels like if you like tripled down on that Mm. um like he's just like dead-eyed singularly focused really committed to this for some reason ready to throw chris under the bus at the earliest opportunity if it presents itself like i just thought that was interesting yeah like like travolta's performance is in the 70s version is very it's obviously it's like it's like callous but it's infused with this kind of uh he's john travolta he's john travolta like it's, it's infused with this kind of um I don't know, kind of like freewheeling, like winging it, like ah, like this. Uh, I don't I know how to describe John. If you know John Travolta, you know. Um, but I think there's still like shades of that kind of like a, a mindset in his performance. But this one is is just this Billy. I I, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> I could I could understand like the the Billy in the '70s version seems like a more of like an actual bully. Yeah, no, this th- and like it's it's weird because I know it runs counter to what I was saying earlier, but I like that this Billy doesn't seem like a bully. He seems like mm-hmm. like a like like a force. <laughs> like he's just yeah. a guy who wants to do something fucked up to somebody else just because. And right. If they wanted to frame everything that had happened as like not through the lens of like traditional bullying, but just like Carrie is stuck on the one hand with her mom who is just like a zealot and on the other hand by people who are just being terrible for no reason other than they can whereas that that doesn't really feel like what it is but like that could have been an interesting thing to like extend out further than just him mm-hmm. because people are very clearly turned off by what he's doing so it's a weird um distinction to make and did you think that his performance sold it Corey? you liked him um yeah i mean i don't know if it was good but i liked it does that make sense um no (laughs) (laughs) i mean i sort of i guess i mean like i guess just like you like the idea of the character enough that like it didn't need it's very it's very one note but like that doesn't mean he's doing a bad job like, I don't know. Look, I also liked the fucking student council president. So, like, 
Fair enough. Where's the spinoff with those two having to do like a, a buddy comedy where like there's just like optimism versus twisted fucking psychopath. But yeah. like they have to like work together on a class project. Shout out to the aggressively cheery high school president. <laughs> um, and on the line of performances, you guys, I want to hear specifically what you guys thought of Angela Bettis. I know you said you liked her, Mitch. So what did you like about her? I think she com- conveys like a a sense of vulnerability here that is is commendable. I think um, it is perhaps the strongest performance in the movie for a number of reasons. But I I think um, and I do like that they kind of give her like a a bit more of like a headstrong quality, not like a lot, but I think. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it sounds like there's like some raccoons fighting in my backyard. Um, this is, <laughs> oh, well, we I can't hope, hear it. I hope it doesn't get but picked up. I, I wish I it, it did does. get picked up. Yeah, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, fuck, where was I? Yes, the performance. Um, yeah, there's she She plays it with like a good sense of vulnerability, which is kind of essential to, to this role. Um, I, I connected with her character probably... The, the most out of any of the characters not only because of like the screen time but um i think like because of that vulnerability and how she kind of um connects with the characters i don't think that she's like ham-fisted or, or overwrought i think all the overwrought elements come from from the writing and like how that sort of positions her to react but i think like her performance in the, in the shower sequence is is really physical um with how she's she's almost like put herself into like a like a fetal position in in this sort of uh e- extremely um like desperate and and sad staging i think that she delivers like a a, a strong uh, physical performance in, in a lot of the scenes. So yeah, I don't know. I, I I enjoy a lot of things about her performance. Nice. What about you, Corey? Um, I wasn't really sure through most of the movie. Um, a real Camilla Bell situation. I'm still not really that sure now. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm crazy about it i i think there was something that just didn't work for me with the level of physicality to it i don't know why i don't i don't have like an astute point to make i just don't know if i loved it but i can't like Mm. i don't have a good justification for that feeling um for me i didn't like it i it has to be because of the directing because i've seen her in may and um another movie from 2011 called the woman and i think she's great in both of those and i and i like her um i like the way she looks i think i understand why they cast her as carrie in that sense just because she's a bit like a atypical looking um very easy to slip into the outcast role very frail Um, yeah, very frail. Um, and she's that way in May too. She plays a different type of outcast, but but she's uh, they they push it in the marketing too. Like her face is right on the poster and stuff. So she's she's a, she's a, definitely an, an interesting actress, and I think a good actress. But in this movie, I think the directing really hampered it for me. I really didn't like how there were so many moments where she would do like this sort of fluttering eyelid. Um, yeah 
eyes rolling sort of thing, and it's what she eventually like ends the, up like doing at prom. And I, I, I didn't like it because um, I think that it ended up becoming like too much of a uh, like a, a crutch or like shorthand to make this girl seem Anxious weird. Bird. And yeah. and so I thought when it happened at the prom sequence, it, it didn't have any of its power. It didn't have the sense that, oh, this woman has has lost it now. Now she's at a point she hasn't been at before because we've seen her do it. Whereas I think of the the original Carrie movie and Sissy Spacek's wide eyes as as uh, all hers classmates are being slaughtered and it's just like you can tell this 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 girl has now reached a place of like there's no turning back whereas this movie um i thought that that wasn't as well paced out and i think they went back to it far too much and so i think her being a uh when she's like being more of an overt weirdo i thought it was i thought it was a bit um too melodramatic where i really liked her and i think that every i I said when i first started that that there's some stuff in this movie i like um and i think still every moment i liked does relate to her performance so she has it in her um and it's the moments where she's just able to to talk um have a conversation with someone and not just be like somber and reflective by herself um like when tommy asks her out to the prom yeah and uh and she's it's a really sensitive scene i think so too i thought that was really well acted by both of them um Mm -hmm. and i i really like the the way she she stands up for herself and she's saying no because she knows that um he's got to be planning something she knows that someone like him should not be asking her to the prom and I think she plays that really well. And likewise, when they're actually at the prom, I like. I think she does the coming out of her shell thing really nice. Like she has a couple yeah. witty remarks that she says to some other students, and I'm like, oh man, Carrie's got jokes. She there's actually a personality in there. Um, and I really like when she says that um, she knows that Tommy doesn't like her in that way, which is really. Um, heartbreaking because they made it clear that Carrie actually has a crush on Tommy before he even talks to her, which is cool. And so for her to then say, you know, I, I know you don't like me that way, but um, she still leans her head against his shoulder. I, I like when she says he, uh, when he says to her, you look beautiful. And she says, so do you like stuff like that. And the way she says it is just really cute. There's a moment, um, where she composes herself in front of a mirror at the school and is sort of like softly smiling at herself. And, and I, I really felt all of those moments and felt they were very real, but when she has to do the, um, the, the like weirdo outcast thing, um, it just didn't as much. It didn't really feel like a real person to me. It didn't feel like the same person that was in those other scenes, um, and and that that uh, that sort of bummed me out. Whereas Sissy Spacek in the original, I felt that it was consistent all the way through. I I felt that when she does open up at the prom, I can still understand how 
how and why she was being so reserved earlier. But this, in this one, I felt the direction made her more of like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sort of thing. Right. I think that that's really like an astute observation with the performance. Um, and I think she doesn't do nearly as well with the, with the, um, like the Mr. Hyde part of the performance, but I'm completely with you in that sort of, in those sort of blossoming scenes that are whimsical and fanciful to a degree where she's, finally discovering herself and uh living in this kind of fantasy and almost sleepwalking i i I feel like those scenes are really well acted and and she she plays it with this with this sort of like um this dreamy kind of disbelief and i i'm totally with you all the scenes in the prom where she's finally come out coming out of her shell are are really well done and and it only heightens the tragedy i think when when it doesn't work the only thing is is that that latter half of the sequence well the whole sequence is kind of ham-fisted in many ways but i think that her performance within there is really solid very nice what should we talk about next i haven't got too much left honestly yeah, I'm not going to come points. up with anything better on the performances than that. You've kind of said it all. So, What did you guys think of the climax um, after the prom with her mom? How did you oh, think that that was handled? I think it's really weak. I think like the the final part of like the of the of like the 70s film when she goes home to confront her mother is like one of the most memorable parts of the film like next to the to the prom of course um but in this movie it's it just felt like a whimper like i i was not i thought that it didn't deliver at all and that that confrontation uh is supposed to be like one of the most significant parts of the movie uh and in this one i, I think it really drops the ball and it's not through the mom's acting i think it's i think it's just through the direction yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, this shows me how good the direction in that original was um, it, it, for the prom and for after the prom. In fact, when I was a kid um, and I rewatched Carrie probably when I was like nine years old or something, I think when I saw it the first time, I, w- I was almost too young to be scared and yeah. like really understand what was going on. And then I watched it again when I was nine years old, late on TV, um, because I saw on the guide that it said there was nudity in the movie and I was mm-hmm. like sick and I turned it on and I got some nudity and then uh, it, it got heavy and I was reminded uh, where the where the story goes. And the stuff that really stuck with me for nights after that when I closed my eyes, I was seeing it and freaking myself out wasn't the, the prom massacre as great as it is. It was the end when Carrie goes back to her house and her own mother is hell bent on killing her. Yeah. And and uh, there's a great shot where Piper Laurie is descending the stairs in this nightdress and the yeah. camera is like below her looking up at her. And she she's revealed this knife by this point because she stabbed Carrie in the back and she's mm. just coming down reciting these Bible verses and um, it is just absolutely haunting. And so the direction of of that sort of betrayal um, mm. and the way that that house feels and and the Jesus figure and then um, it's a crucifixion Lori being like crucified. The, yeah, which oh. they cut out here, which I think is really unfortunate. I think so too. Yeah, and that is actually the way that 
Carrie kills her mom in the book is by mm. stopping her heart telepathically. And that is something that I think works much better in writing. In fact, if you were to take the Brian De Palma ending and put it in the book, and uh, you know, I'm sure Stephen King could do it, but it sounds a lot cheesier than mm. it is in the movie if you were to say that she sends these knives flying across the room and they they pin up the mom and she sort of her arms are out at her side and stuff. Um, I think that it, it wouldn't read as good as, as the heart stopping does. Mm-hmm. I think the heart stopping is fine in the book, but I do like the ending more in the original movie. And I think it is a mistake here to go back to the book and do the heart stopping thing. And it's just another example of how they um, were too reliant mm-hmm. on the CG. And so just showing with a, uh, with uh, animation that the heart inside her chest is stopping. I just think it is so anticlimactic and and, um, uninteresting and you don't get that menace from the mom. It happens very quickly. It all happens there in the bathroom, which again is like the book, but I think um, the way they explore the house in the climax of the original movie is just a much better idea. In fact, I'm looking here at the most popular letterbox review of Carrie 2002. And someone here named Katie Walsh has a one sentence review and it's really cool. Uh, I didn't know this. It says in the De Palma doc. Have you seen that, Mitch? I have. It's a wonderful movie. It sounds I great. I um, Noah Baumbach. I, I, Wow, that's so. cool. Yeah. Um, it's It says here, in the De Palma doc, he says, it's fun to see other versions of Carrie and see them make all the mistakes you avoided with the same material. Mm-hmm. And I just think that is... That's really interesting. First of all, vicious line. <laughs> vicious it is, line. It is vicious. And I think uh, it's just so true. Like I can, we've talked a lot about how um, they've either made choices in this movie that seem like they would make more sense for a movie. Like, oh, we're going to be more epic. We're going to show interviews. We're going to show more of Carrie's school life before you mm. get to the, to the shower scene. We're going to... Um, do the heart stopping thing and we're going to do the the rocks falling from uh, the like the meteor things and it's just like I'm sure Brian De Palma considered all that stuff because a lot of it is drawing from the book but books and movies are very different you know and yeah. uh, that's why Stephen King is one of my favorite authors he, he is my favorite author and I do not agree with his movie tastes when he says go see a movie or that he loves one of his adaptations he does he does like it he does like that one um and i'd be interested to hear uh, what he thinks about uh these later versions of carrie but um you know he hates stanley kubrick's the shining he had a he was he produced another one in the in the late 90s that is closer to his book um yeah and and uh we should do that one that would be fun. I just, I, I, I think that he is often too attached to the material of his books um, in terms of translating mm-hmm. them to the screen. And so I think it is also a mistake of filmmakers to get too attached to the book when translating it. I think you've got you've to believe in yourself more. I think Brian De Palma did that, and I don't think that these filmmakers did that. Another interesting thing too, because we, we were talking about that that confrontation scene right at the end, and how 
one how they go with the heart stopping and De Palma went with the crucifixion. And I think one of the most fascinating sort of elements of the Carrie story is the mystery where faith and these supernatural powers collide. You're not entirely sure where they come from. I think there's like a, a mystery that perhaps it, it comes from something divine or perhaps something profoundly evil like the devil. And you're not entirely sure where these powers come from. There's there's a mis- mystery to them. There is something uh, slightly sinister about them, especially like in relation to the, to the crucifixion. And, and I think uh, to, uh, to omit that, to, to get rid of that, um, I think like doesn't have that like, doesn't have that sort of uh, evocative mystery that that comes with the act of 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 matricide there um yeah and um it should also be noted that uh, despite me just shit talking stephen king's movie taste he also believes that the 1976 movie is better than his novel so at that point, if you're going to make another movie based on the book, you've got to be very careful about what you're doing and what you're pulling from that novel, because mm-hmm. uh, even the man himself says that the novel might not be all that worth directly pulling from to begin with. He might just it might just be like what happens when you create things and then like you look back at the first thing you did and you're like, ah, oh, fuck, like De Palma did it better. <laughs> like. Yeah. A- you know, I mean, not that not that I've ever looked back at something I've created and said De Palma did it better, but I mean, like in this in the sense oh, that, like, when you look honor. back at your at your older work and you're like, oh god, this is terrible, it, yeah. it could just be that. But yeah, De Palma knocked it out of the park. This one, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. It is it is absolutely in the same area code as the park, whereas yeah. De Palma's version way out of the park. Man, it's it's like in the this one's in like the refreshment stands or like maybe in like the dugout. Like it hasn't even gone up to the plate. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Carry the rage. Carry two is like somewhere in the outfield. It's it's like right over at the boards. The it's rage like, carry two is the Shohei Otani of carry movies. <laughs> <laughs> it can do it all. <sighs> is there I'm anything good. else to say? Other than maybe what we're watching next week? Oh, yeah, what is it? What is we it? You need to say that. We are watching, it's my pick. Uh, uh, we are watching the 1981 adaptation of The Postman Always Rings Twice, directed by Bob Raffleson, screenplay by David Mamet, and it's an adaptation of a novel by James M. Kane, starring Jack Nicholson, Jessica Lange, and uh, Angelica Houston, and a few other people. Um, we're the Cape c- fearing it. <laughs> yeah, we are. Uh, the cinematography is by a, uh, I think he's a, a Swedish fellow named um, Sven Nykvist. And he, I, I, I might be misprint. I'm not sure if he's Swedish or not. I'm not sure. But he, he uh, did the cinematography for some of the most like incredible movies. Like uh, for, he did it for Cries and Whispers by Igmar Bergman. He did it for a few Bergman films. Um, so I have not seen this movie, but I think we're in for a treat. Do you want me to just uh, copy paste that rundown into next week's episode so we can save some time? Sorry, <laughs> no, no, I was no, I'm not. Don't apologize. I'm just making a bit. I'm actually not You're... sorry. Um, yeah, I don't want yeah. you to be sorry. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's uh, yeah. I get. To, I can. I have way more to say about the people who made this movie. It's one that's been on my list for years. I I like the original, so I hope I hope it's a good one. Cool. Yeah. What happens if the postman rings a third time? Is it like Beetlejuice? Do they just like show up in your house? 
You'll have to find out. Do you know who made the... <laughs> Actually, no, I'll save it for next week. Um, but yeah. Um, well, do you have anything you want to plug on top of that? <laughs> that was a good one. Say they're all going to laugh at you, Mitch. Mitch should say it or I should say it. He's really gone. No, I thought I thought it would just be it would be a good distant quote from his microphone for him to say it, but No, that man commits. I, I gotta I gotta leave it to him. Yeah, I can't. He's in a different code. area code. He's gone. Um, like crack. <laughs> That's good too. Uh do you have anything you'd like to give a shout out to, Liam? Uh yeah, shout out my mom. Hell yeah. Shout out my Liam's dad. mom. Dad. My mom's listened to some episodes of this. I don't know if my dad has, but my mom liked the Doctor Sleep one. It might have oh, been a few years yeah. since she's now listened, but uh, she doesn't really know how to work podcast apps. But I, I got her to listen to the Doctor Sleep one because she loved that movie. So uh, shout out my mom. Um, shout out my alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow. Uh, I have a Twitter and Letterboxd account. You can follow. Uh, the username is Graham the Mallo. Can I Can I shout out something of yours as well? Sure. Riding high after a pretty good time recently for us, but shout out Liam's band. Guest room status. Go listen to oh, the yeah. music that Liam makes. Well, thank you. With the boys. That's like, it's streaming and stuff. You'll find it. And uh, you can listen to me do other podcasts if you want. Um, I have MK Podcast with our friend Neil, where we talk about a bunch of Mortal Kombat ephemera that started off with the Mortal Kombat Conquest TV show. We're doing commentaries for that and a bunch of other stuff. And um, on a much less regular basis, I have Strat 2, which is an F1 podcast I do with my friend Callum. So I finally stopped talking about it here. I just talk about it over there. Those are on Twitter and all of your podcast services and all that kind of thing. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd as well, at Mr. Corey Price. Thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what you think about glazed donuts. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jay Dickinson. Shout out Krispy Kreme. Shout out Krispy Kreme. <laughs> Jade Sketches. Shout out Jade Sketches. Shout out Krispy Kreme. And um, with all that out of the way, we'll see what happens when the postman rings twice next week. And they made another one.